right, welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again this week. Please feel free to continue and to leave reviews, comments, likes on your favorite podcasting platform, including our YouTube channel. And also feel free if you have any suggestions for a topic or a guest or any other things, reviews like as far as constructive criticism, please feel free to shoot us an email at wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Okie dokie. Well, for those listening here, come Wednesday, the regular listeners, we have just celebrated Mother's Day here in the United States, a tremendous time where we are reminded of the generosity, the kindness, and the love of our mothers and grandmothers. And today I I found it very fitting to have a highly qualified individual in her own right on my podcast, very highly requested, mind you, but it's somebody that I also like to call my mom. Uh, She is a graduate of Spring Arbor University with Family Life Education, as has her degree in concentration. Uh, She reaches out particularly in speciality to women who um, are affected uh, by a lot of wounds uh, in her past, and so she has a lot of inner healing experience with women in the church. Uh, She has volunteered over the last 30 years uh, and dedicated her life uh, in the volunteer positions, not the the high profile, not the celebrity roles that are often associated with certain positions in the church. But my mom uh, just recently has started uh, stepping out into new adventures and, and leading and teaching a lot of classes. So I have gleaned a lot from her. She's a very intelligent woman, and I think you all will enjoy this uh, time together as mother and son. So without further ado, please welcome my mother, Julie Crable. Hey, Mama. Hey. What's going on? Well, I am so used to us having our conversations. I mean, this has been going on since the moment I found out I was pregnant. I've been talking to you, but I've never had this much equipment around (laughs) when we've had our conversation. We're just going to finally hit record on one of those conversations. And you're right. We, unlike Dad, we kind of, we we tire out Dad pretty quickly. Uh, Dad does a good job in his own right actually talking However, if he's having somebody talk back with him and kind of going in a different direction, Dad can only hang in there for so long, but you and I, we can just jibber-jabber for hours on end. So long after he's gone to bed, you and I, over the years, have had many conversations, many deep conversations. We don't, we don't really have too many superficial ones, do we? No, not at all. Um, we laugh a lot. That was, that's not even superficial. A lot of times our, our humor is, is even purposeful. Um, as we established a long time ago, your dad is an emergency response person mm-hmm. who is an in and out, you know, in and a crisis and then out. And I'm more the long term, even though I'm using a medical metaphor, I could never be a nurse. So hats off to doctors and nurses who can tolerate mm-hmm. needles and blood. Blah. That's yeah. not me. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good point. Just differences. And yeah. that's why I love you and dad. You, different, very different aspects, different personalities, different interests, and um, have both affected me in, in so many different ways. But for you and I, you know, as I look back, as I think about you and uh, often and uh, your impact on my life, I mean, not just because it was Mother's Day, which is very fitting for this podcast. So thank you. Uh, just only recording this the day after. And as, as I look back over this past weekend, now that I've started church and I look at, uh, I look at all of this from a different perspective, there's not... One of our conversations, really, I look back on and, and say, no, that was a waste of time uh, by, by no means because it was kind of like seed planting. You and I would just I'd ask you these questions or you would ask me a question and then 
we would try to connect dots and you would always try to say, now, Michael, what do you think about this? Or how do you think that connects? You're always, always trying to push me further to think critically about it. And why I, I would say for the benefit of our listeners, why were you always pushing me to critically think about a topic or a question of my own or something I saw in the culture or something I saw at school? Why did you keep pressing that? Well, um, this is going to probably sound cruel or weird to some people, but you were my human experiment. Uh, when you were little, um, I would ask you questions to try to prepare you to know your surroundings, to observe, because what I had observed growing up was men didn't have to or didn't or I was told couldn't remember because they were right side brain, they were more left side, so they couldn't remember birthdays and anniversaries or favorite colors or special anything. And I thought, I don't think it's true. I think it's a lack of training. So I started out purposeful to ask you questions to teach you to be observant. And you remember that that probably that story from our little venture to Wendy's one day for oh, lunch. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, you wouldn't let me get away with a lazy answer. No, I wouldn't. You were like two and you were sitting in your little booster seat and you're always your right leg kicking, kicking, whether it was in the shopping cart. I think I still have bruises. Um, <laughs> but you always liked the elderly, even in the grocery store. But this day at lunch, I saw an elderly woman sitting in the front window at Wendy's on Wisner Street. And I said... Hey, Mickey, because you used to call yourself Mickey. Um, I said, Mickey, I said, he go, you go, what? And you're chewing on your cheeky nuggets, as you call them in your French fries. And and I go, look at that lady over by the front window. And you kind of glanced over, like, yeah, like a typical guy response at two. You're like, <laughs> yeah. And I said, what do you think your favorite color is? Now, I'll tell the audience, this lady was decked out in yellow, yellow patent leather pump. She had a yellow purse. She had a yellow and white polka dotted skirt, a yellow sweater. And she was all yellow. She even had yellow something in her hair. And you go, oh, I go, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this really is a guy thing. But I go, Michael, look at her again. <laughs> now remember, I didn't say Mickey. I said, Michael, yeah. I didn't use your whole name because I wasn't at that point yet. Michael, look at her again. What do you think her favorite color is? And you go, Lello? <laughs> yes, that's right. And I said to you at two and a half or whatever, a woman who hated yellow would never leave the house decked out in yellow. And so it'd be that kind of thing, like going for a bike ride. You're on the back in the little kid seat, right? And I'd say, all right, Michael, listen, what do you hear? Oh, Michael, <laughs> listen. And then we would identify, and by the time you were like in preschool, you could tell me the difference between a fire truck and an ambulance and a police car siren. Mm -hmm. And you could hear birds, and you could hear horns, and you could hear, you know, tires on the road. I just, we lay out in the backyard, and I'd say, look up, look at the birds, you hear the birds. How many different bird, call, you know, calls or sounds do you hear? And, you know, so I made you pay attention, and as you got older, you started asking the tough questions, and at 9 o'clock, I'd say, okay, my brain's tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> questions are done, and that's still our rule, but you seem to push those boundaries all the time. Oh, you know, but I, that's I, pretty just, cool. I just know what's best for you, Mom, that's why. <laughs> uh, no, I, I remember remember those things, and I remember, at least for you and Dad, you never let me get away with the minimum. You never let me get away with just the, the, uh, the average effort I had to think about it. 
And, you know, that's paying dividends now when it comes to being a pastor all these years later, seeing and remembering a lot of those stories and, and seeing how uh, they are playing a role in my life. Very, very grateful. So that's just one aspect that I am very much thankful for. And we'll get into more of those because it'll, as it'll become apparent to the listeners, many things and many reasons as to why I'm thankful for you, Mom. Um, but, and so now when I have a date that I yeah. need to remember, who do I call? Yes, like, cool. hey, Michael, do you remember? Cousin, cousin Jacob. <laughs> uh, I outsource all my stuff to him. Um, one of the things that I have a privilege of, of asking any of my guests, no matter who they are, and it's again, it's not for my benefit, but it's always nice to hear, is how all, all these folks have, have come to Christ. and Because that's a central point of this podcast is, is remembering that this is gospel-oriented. This is something that I want to be able to church folks to be able to listen to with their families. And to be able to have the opportunity just to hear somebody's Christ story, I think is so intimate and so so beautiful. And, and you, have, you have a very interesting one because of your upbringing which we'll get into some of those aspects as well. But just for the sake of coming to Christ, how did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? I love this part of your podcast because there are never similar stories. Mm-hmm. Every story is unique as well as mine. I was born and raised in a Catholic home, and it was Mass every day or every Sunday. And then when I was in school, some Catholic schools, you went to Mass every day. We went once a week. But because I wasn't in a Catholic school at first, we had catechism classes. And those were usually Sunday mornings before Mass. But as a kid, I can tell you that I always remember talking with God. Hmm. Always. I go outside and play, and I'd look up, and I'm like, yep, there's a God. And I'd say, wow, those are really cool clouds, God. I mean, just simple kid stuff like that. But always talking with Him. And sharing frustrations with him because I was taught that you could talk to God, so I did. Um, Having an inquisitive mind myself, as I got older, I started asking questions. And instead of being met with, great question, it was almost like, why do you want to know? Or why can't you just accept the answer that was given? And it's like, all right, I guess I can, but I always go away kind of frustrated. Things kind of really picked up steam in high school. In freshman year theology class, I had a nun, and she was, you know, doing her best to promote becoming a nun to us girls. And I just remember my mind drifted off, and I started thinking about much deeper spiritual things. And I raised my hand, and I don't even remember what she was talking about at that point, but it was still kind of like a cell job. Mm -hmm. And I said, why did the serpent test Eve? Why did he tempt her? Why did he go to her first? And I just needed to hear it with my own ears because I started seeing some things like the difference between how nuns were treated and how the priests were treated. And I won't go into those details, but anybody that's listening that's familiar with the Catholic Church knows exactly what I'm talking about. And she said, why? Well, it was because she was, she was the weaker of the two. And I go, okay, that makes sense why I always feel like it's always the woman's fault. Like women are the ones who are abused. Women are the ones that are treated crappy. Um, girls, women, females. And it's like, oh, so we're we're still paying the price, so to speak, you know, from that event. I'm like, okay, I get it now, I think. Well, then sophomore year, my Latin teacher was my theology teacher. And she told us that the book of Genesis was it real, that it was just 
a story or somebody's dream that was written down, that it was mankind sitting around a fire trying to figure out how did we get here. And I thought, whoa, um, I would never heard that one before. And I thought that was pretty bold on her part. And so I, after that, I didn't really trust her, even though I needed her for a Latin class. Then um, I don't have any recollections of um, junior year, but my senior year, pivotal, pivotal time in my faith. It was kind of like I came to a faith crisis. Um, a friend of mine's grandma had died, and I'd gone to her funeral earlier in the year. I don't know. It was still winter out. And the priest had said that she was going to heaven in a frying pan because she was this great wife, a good mother, and a great cook, and he was really proud that he patted his belly, you know, and kind of chuckled, and I thought, she's going to heaven in a frying pan. So a few months later, April, I'm in my senior theology class with a priest, and he was just kind of going through the scripture, and it was more like facts, like, here's what happened at Easter, and the events up to it, and then Jesus dying on the cross, and then raising from the dead, and you know, like, it was just like real matter of fact. And I thought, okay, I'm thinking of the homily at my girlfriend's grandma's funeral, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, something's not adding up here. So I whipped my hand in the air and he called on me and I said, why did Jesus have to die? And I said, because, and then I relayed the story to my entire classroom of the homily at my grandma's, a friend's grandma's funeral. And I said, so if she could get to heaven in a frying pan, which everybody was laughing hysterically because it was, it was just ridiculous. I said, why did Jesus have to die? And of course, he's like, bruh, bruh. <clears throat> you know, really nervous. And he's playing with this, you know, cleric, his collar there. And he goes, well, it was, it was prophesied that Jesus had to die. And the look on his face was he was proud of that answer. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me that is your answer? Because it was, pro I raised my hand again. I go, why was it prophesied that he did not want to call me? And I forced the question out. Well, then he um, told me, you need to leave now because I'll explain to the audience, I was a hall monitor, which meant I got to get out of class five minutes early and arrive late because my job was to make sure my fellow high schoolers did what they were supposed to do in the hallway and not what they weren't supposed to do, like go in the bathroom and smoke, whatever. And my station was right outside. My post was right outside the chapel. And I'm standing there just hot. And I'm thinking about like a month or so before when I heard four-letter words coming out from inside the chapel. And I like take a step back and I take another step back and I take a step closer to the confessional. And I could hear this muffled voice of our president of the of all of the Catholic schools at that time, using four-letter words. And I thought, that's the guy I go to confession to. And I remember Michael going from like zero to 100 in anger that day. And then I'm thinking, oh, I'm never going to confession to him ever again. And then I kept thinking, who's he talking to? I mean, who's on the other end of the phone or who's in his office getting reamed out like that? And I'm like, oh. so I was shocked. So that particular day... I'm in the, my post, and I'm remembering all this stuff and things that I, you know, from freshman year come back from from the nun who answered that question. I'm just angry. Well, the bell rings, and I'm still standing there, probably in a daze, just anger on my face because another priest that was everybody's favorite come around the corner. He goes, "Are you okay?" 
And I go, no, I'm not. I said, I'm really angry. And he goes, well, what's wrong? And I just started, you know, telling him, recapping everything for the last four years. And he goes, why don't you come to my office and we'll talk? Because I'm out in the hallway, you know, it's probably loud. I'm passionate. My arms are probably swinging everywhere. And so I go to his office and basically what he told me was that not every priest gets it. Yeah, well, that's that's represent, re- representative of all of us for, for the most part. But yeah, it must be shocking for somebody. And I said, how do you get to this point in his career? Because he was older. I'm sure he was nearing retirement. And then teaching impressionable teenagers. And your answer is, not everyone gets it. Wow. And I, I started immediately thinking about some scriptures that I read or maybe a homily I'd heard about how teachers and leaders were going to be judged more harshly, especially if you lead one of his, you know, God's sheep away or stray. And I thought, wow. And I determined in my heart that day, I, as soon as I graduate, I am done. Mm. I've got to go somewhere and get some answers. And so I did. I graduated and um, where it was a Protestant family that lived next door. She had become Catholic to marry her husband, but she immediately went back to her Protestant church. And I invited myself to go to church with her. And that summer after I graduated, I had all my questions answered. But I still had not made a commitment because I didn't trust yet. I felt like I'd been lied to before. And I'm not saying it's, this is a condemnation to Catholicism because I can, all I can do is speak to my own experience yeah, and my own exactly. journey. So this is not a, you know, a criticism of everybody who's still Catholic, because I have a lot of good friends who are still Catholic to this day. But, you know, when I went to, a, I don't know if it was a five or ten year reunion, I don't remember because it's been so long now, um, I had classmates in my theology class that day who were no longer Catholic, who were born again, and they remembered that day, oh, wow. it was that was cool. That's when I knew that I wasn't alone, mm-hmm. and that I did have a voice, and that my questions were legit. And I'm sure that that temptation must be there, though, to feel like you're on an island by yourself, screaming against the world. And it's like, why? It seems like the problem is with you. It's not with them. You're the only one acting out of turn, but mm-hmm. maybe the only one with enough courage to raise your hand in the first place. Yes, so that's really that, cool. That's exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, and it's funny, it's actually a detail I've never learned is that you invited yourself to um, church with your Protestant neighbors. What what denomination was that? She had was attending a missionary church, which missionary. was of the Wesleyan tradition. Oh, really? Okay. And um, the pastor there was, oh, he was great. Oh, what an impression. He was a great teacher, which, like you are, um, when it comes to teaching scripture. And and he was a guy who filled in the blanks, like taught you the history it's like, wow, I never knew that before. And I actually was able to ask questions of my Catholic faith that he was able to answer. Mm. And I learned more and appreciated more in my Catholic upbringing, bringing from talking to a Protestant pastor than a Catholic priest. So, mm. And then it was always, well, you just didn't talk to the right priest. And so uh, my experience was, yeah, there was more that didn't get it than got it. So this was your, this was right after senior high school. Yes. And now um, for those who know dad, know that, know that you and dad met uh, at our local community college here in, in Jackson. 
And so when did you guys, I guess what year, if you could track for me, my own benefit, what year did you start going to Central Wesleyan? Because that, was that your first Protestant church, Central Wesleyan? No, I was attending the missionary well, church. Actually, well, and I then guess that was your home church for a little bit? Yeah, then... when we met at college, I invited myself again I to their church. So oh, okay. your, your dad and his best friend were um, just always laughing and cutting it up, but they were clean. They didn't swear. They didn't party. And your dad like kept wanting to ask me out, but then other guys that he knew at the college would ask me out, and he just kind of thought, oh, I'll never get my chance, and that kind of thing. And then um, we talked one night. I don't know how he got my number, but he called, and I, I really I fell in love with his heart over the phone. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I remember that we were, were both older souls, and people will remark that about you too, and I can explain why um, later on, but or if it comes to that, but... So you, you invited yourself to Central Wesleyan, and since then you never looked back. But like as far as coming to Christ, like that was something that there was always been there. And it's actually in, in our our pre-show meetings, it was one of the questions I asked you and I wanted to talk to you about because as we approach Pentecost here, the gift and celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit being made known to the rest of the world, as we as we have learned, the disciples already had the gift of the Holy Spirit, but now the rest of us are blessed with it. And as we approach that in our calendar, it's what we're going to be celebrating is the Holy Spirit and that aspect of it, which is obvious from your testimony and from your stories that you've told me, is very apparent that the Holy Spirit was with you and implanted within you from a very, very young age. You always told me that you just knew. You always knew. It wasn't a struggle. It wasn't yet. You had questions about the process and about some of the um, the theology along the way, like everyone does, but you didn't have the the crisis of faith of it does God exist. You never had that. You always felt the Holy Spirit's presence. Do you, mm-hmm. And how how does that? Can you describe that for maybe people who who have no idea what that is, or maybe new Christians, or who don't experience God in the, that same way? What was that like growing up? Just having that peace of knowing, and then how did you commune with the Holy Spirit even before you entered a Protestant church? You know. I think there was a time where I did it because I thought I was supposed to. Mm. Because when you're a kid, you you know, if yeah. you see other people around you praying. But I just always found myself talking to God throughout the day. Or if, you know, something happened at home, I'd be like, I don't understand this. You know, I would vent. Um, so it was like having a friend that I hoped was there, I guess. Um, because when you're a kid, you don't, if you don't have an adult, connecting the dots for you. Like here we prayed for this person who was sick and they got better um, kind of thing so that there's an affirmation that prayer does work. But for me, it was always that conversation um, that was going on. So I guess I didn't consider that prayer because prayer was the sign of the cross. It was um, your rosary beads. It was formal prayer. You know, any church that has a liturgy, um, it's very uniform, very methodical. You memorize it and you just repeat, rinse and repeat every Sunday. And it's like there's no spontaneity, no place for you to interject your personality um, into your relationship with God when you're in a in a at mass. Um, and when I was a kid, it was about hey, let's go to mass. Let's go to the priest who gives a real short homily. So you're in and you're out. And then you could go on Saturday night, so there's Sunday you could sleep in because when you're a teenager, it's all about sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was at Central, 
the anybody older in the audience that, that's listening may remember the Norman Wilson Hour on Family Life Radio on Sunday afternoons. Norman Wilson was a radio personality, and he had this deep, you know, voice, and he was a good teacher, but he was a preacher. He would be the one that would give that that message of salvation and why you need to be saved. Well, we hosted him on this one weekend, and I think it was Friday night or Saturday night, and I'm sitting like 10 rows back, which I really wanted to sit farther back, but this other woman in the church had taken me under her wing, um, Cappy Barnes, and oh man, she had her arm around me, and um, I don't know, when he had the altar call, I could not not go to the altar. Mm. I tried not to. And it was like I was being pulled by this invisible force. And I thought, oh, that's what the Holy Spirit feels like, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, I accepted Christ, you know, that night. And then I could not wait to get baptized. I could not wait to shout it to the world because now it was my choice. When Because you were already baptized. I was already infant, baptized when you're infant, yeah. infant baptism. So like, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a memory of that. So I couldn't wait because it's like all my questions were being answered now that I'd had my whole entire life. And now the dots were connected. And my brain is happy when the dots are connected, Mm -hmm. when things are logical, when something is not right and it's off, it registers as illogical in my brain and my brain is not happy. So I have to dig, dig, dig. And you've seen me dig. You've, you know, get to hear me like, hey, I was taking this subject and I've been digging, digging, digging. And this is what I found. This is a little gem. Or I read this book and, you know, we buy each other books like, oh, you got to read this book. But we know Mm -hmm. we can't share a book. Right? No. Not even. Terrible idea. We're a terrible idea because we, I mark, I fold crease pages. At that point, the entire thing's highlighted. Yes. Now, just for reference for people um, who've listened to dad's interview, this, this kind of rededication to Christ, this, this new moment, what year would that have been? Well, I think it happened when I was 19 or 20, and it okay. wasn't long after that that your dad and I started dating, and then okay. we were we were engaged for like 14, months. So it's been like months. 1983, so you're just like a year or two out of high school at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that just so we can get the timeline, because yeah. for those listeners, my you and dad were wedded in uh, 1985, Correct. and and so... Um, that that helps build a timeline for folks. So this is before you and Dad were, were dating, and you you have this this new this fire, this holy Holy Spirit fire. And I just curious, like was that transition? At, because everyone has this. I hear it from some of my friends who uh, left the Catholic Church and started attending Protestant Church, and kind of have this weird look on their face for a couple of weeks of what are, what are these people doing? This is really, really strange. Did you find the transition? I mean, you already had the experience in the prior Protestant church, but what was that the actual transition like in church? Not just, you can even mention just the sleep schedule is one of those things <laughs> that like, well, this is different. Um, how did you find the church going aspect of it? Like, oh, this is different. They do this and then, well, they don't do this. Like, how was well, that for you? Sunday morning became Sunday morning, Sunday school, yeah. church. Then you go home and crash or listen to Norman Wilson, and then you're back to church Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Well, some of my Catholic family and friends thought I joined a cult because we <laughs> we also went to church on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. nights. And it's right. like, what are you doing? And it's like, they're not making me go. Trust me. I want to go because this was my new family. And I can imagine how hurtful it might have been to my own family and to my old friends. Um 
But for me, I think that's when the rubber met the road because I sure. had some decisions to make. When you're a young person and you make a drastic life change, um, it wasn't real drastic for me because I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't a rowdy person. You probably tell by my voice, I'm just pretty even keel person. And um, so I made a choice because most people at that age, woohoo, they're on their own. You're approaching 21. You can go out and drink. You mm -hmm. can go do this and go do that. So it was hard for me when I played softball and bowling leagues and things like that to just say no thanks to the party. And because I just didn't want to stand out, like I'm be the only person at the table not drinking. And then mm -hmm. when people do get drunk, it's like, geez, I, do I really, do I really want to be here right now? And I just felt yeah. like I needed to separate, not because I thought I was better. I just wanted to dedicate that time to the Lord and say, okay, there's too much noise in my life. I need to get quiet. I need some more quiet time with God. And, mm -hmm. and, and so the, so in that way, that transition was fairly easy. Yeah. Um, now for, for some it's, it's, it's not as, it's not as easy. It's not as, as quick. So for those maybe out there who are listening, who um, have made that decision, they've stepped out, or maybe they've gone back to, they may have left the Protestant church and joined the Catholic church for whatever reason. Um, just as a general like piece of advice for somebody who has gone through that journey, I haven't. What, what is what is general advice for people who might um, might experience maybe some kickback from their family or they, they're just kind of weirded out by some of the changes? What would be your advice for some of those people? Or the person that that's going through that transition, fi you'll find that there are people out there that that totally understand. I, I had people who understood, and yet you know I was away for a few years, and I was actually thought about going back because I knew people who had left the church and found God. They kind of been on the same journey as me of wanting to understand more. And when they learned more about their faith, they decided to go back to the Catholic community mm -hmm. and with the kind of a missionary mindset. Mm -hmm. And they started small Bible study groups and things like that within the confines of the teachings of the Catholic Church. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. That was not an, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it's not an option for me, but God didn't present it as an option for me. So, mm -hmm. um, but basically, there are people there. You're not alone. There are people there who will understand. Yes. Um, the the difficulties or that could come or the questions that that one might have. Well, that, that's good to know. And uh, you know, as as I look back and think about that that time, I'm very grateful that you that the Holy Spirit led you that way because of what you know Central Wesleyan ended up meaning to me uh, as that was my it's my home church in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know that that's really cool to see that evolution of thought and how Holy Spirit led you. Now. When we mentioned earlier about you and Dad meeting at uh, the at Jackson Community College JCC back it was, as it was known back then, well, you got your associates there, and then that was that was it. Uh, as a as a basically a fast forwarding, you and Dad are married for really happy a lot of many years, and then I come along, and then you weren't so happy anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Um, and then um, you have me, your stay at home mom. You dedicate um, your life um, to being the best mother possible. You were so good at being a mom, a super mom, that you got a job at my school oh, just to just to keep an eye on me. And uh, as I um, start my career in high school, you had this calling, you had this this desire um, to go back to school. 
And like Eric Moore, who was on this previous podcast and we talked about you, that's where you met him in the Family Life Education Program at Spring Arbor University. You were in the same cohort. So I have to ask from the transition from, you know, I'm my schooling, my, my time is done at J, JCC. And little did you know, you didn't really know then what God had in store for you much later. Um, how, how does Julie Crable go from a young 20s, now I'm married, and to... I want to go back to school. I'm going to do it maybe unconventionally when I'm, when I'm older. I'm going to do a very mature program, and I'm going to use that program like to bless this ministerial outreach that, that I believe God's called me into. How, how do you go go from that? How did you choose Family Life Education? How did you choose Spring Arbor? I'm, I'm curious, and a lot of listeners will be curious about that return to education. Um, I'll say divine appointments from from the time that I was born again. There was, and, and even if I go back to childhood, there was always, I called divine appointments, people, places, events where God showed up. And as, like I said before, as a kid, I didn't always recognize it as God. Mm. Um, I think that's something when you have guidance that you can teach that. So I, I wasn't aware, but the boy, once I was born again, I could look back and go, wow, like from getting from high school to community college, I was debating, do I go? I was accepted at U of M was one of the colleges. You know, what field do I go into? Because I love psychology. I love the law. Um, You know, I just didn't know what to do. Plus, I wanted to be a mom. And I thought, what do I do? What do I do? So I prayed. And I was second in line for a full-ride scholarship at the community college. And my friend was right in front of me, and she debated, did she want to stay in town or did she want to go to Western? She decided to go to Western. I got the full-ride scholarship, divine appointment. That's where I meet your dad. I mean, just a divine event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm led there. Then I invite myself to church, and that's where I meet Christ in a personal way. And he becomes my Savior. And then I'm taught and I'm made aware of what my spiritual gifts are. I'm taught and aware of how prayer works and that when Paul says pray without ceasing and most people just start sweating and they're like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I've been doing that my whole life. That's what that is. Prayer without ceasing. Just having this, all this ongoing, continuous conversation with the Lord, like, oh, check that box. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, that's cool. I write, oh man, I, I'm doing pretty good here. And so then another divine appointment where the people that God brought into our lives as a young couple, right down to the dog, you know, that my sister and I found two dogs, or she did, in the parking lot of their her son's preschool, to people looking at us and say, wow, you've taken the stray dog, and, you know, you know, if you're a good dog parent, it shows that you're going to be a good human parent, you know, and they're making that correlation. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking there's quite a bit of difference there. A tiny bit. Um, but we had a smart dog and thank God we had a smart kid too. So that made it easier. But I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I didn't know what God wanted me to do with my life. So I got my two-year degree, but I was working full time and I was able to get a job as a assistant manager for a brand new store at the crossing or um, I'm sorry, the Westwood mall. And I was, we're opening a new store. I'm putting in 70 hours a week. Your dad's new at his job and he's putting in, you know, 50 plus hours a week. We didn't hardly see each other. 
But then I was able to land a job with a local dentist and had a normal life, you know, eight to five. And um, we got a, a new apartment. Our friends lived upstairs. Life was going good. And we just had great opportunities to do Christian life building, marriage building conferences and things like that because we didn't have any kids and we had dual incomes. We had the money to go off and do those kind of things where our friends all had little kids that couldn't go anywhere. We're like, sorry, but we're off. We're off yeah. to the next adventure. And so we we just had a blast just in our early married life when we could, when we weren't both working. And um, so then uh, what was your next question about well, having just, you? Well, yeah, but I mean, not even about me. I was just skipping right over me because I'm not that important. It's the, how did you get to back to Spring Arbor after this ending of education? Uh, how did you make your way back there? Because that's this is basically the catalyst of God using that particular degree and those people, those experiences, and how he has used that time, that divine appointment, to basically you know infuse the rest of your ministry. Well, while you're still little and we get you into a private Christian school, I learned through that process that that God speaks to me in threes if he needs me to do something. Mm -hmm. So I was offered a job at your school three times because I turned it down once I had a part-time job and I didn't want another one or I didn't want to leave that one because I was helping out a family member at their work. And I, so then three times, the third time that job came around, I'm like, oh, right already. So I took the job at your school and so it wasn't like I was looking for it. And I will tell you, ever since then, I have never had to look for a job. If God's wanted me to have a job, he brings the job to me. If I'm supposed to read a book, I will see the book in three different places. That, and then I know I'm supposed to read that book. It, and I realized that was Elijah. Elijah was the same way in, in threes. And I, I believe that God has that unique of a relationship. And Jeremiah says the same way that, that we, he, God wants to be so close to us that he writes his laws on our hearts. Well, I think he has a unique relationship with each of us if we would take the time to explore that and figure out what that is. But for me, it's threes. So anytime I had a job or anything like that. So this is where Spring Arbor comes in. I always had wanted, uh, when that movie about bucket lists came out, you know, your dad and I would always talk about stuff like that. And he goes, do you have a bucket list? I'm like, well... The only thing I could say is that I, I always wanted to have my bachelor's degree just because I know I was smart enough to do it. But then I knew if I ever went back to school, the temptation would be, how do you get me out? And I think your dad knew it and it would cost him a lot of money. Yeah. But he <laughs> knew that I needed to get that degree. So in his kindness and understanding my places of woundedness and where my insecurities came from, he went first. And he learned everything. He got to meet Glenn Yamakawa that Eric talked about in your previous podcast at Spring Arbor. That man, what an ambassador for Christ and what an ambassador for Spring Arbor University. And so your dad went first and he graduated and I helped him with some of his papers and I'd read and proofread. So I kind of got the hang of it, how the cohort thing kind of worked. And so he goes, okay, now it's your turn. And I'm like, I was so scared. I'm like, I just know I'm going to be the oldest one in the class, and I don't understand technology. And he's like, stop. You're going to be fine. If I can do it, 
It'll be a cakewalk for Which you. Which is very true. I mean, knowing knowing your husband, my father, absolutely. If dad says that you and I can do it, we can. So I sign up. Every single one of the credits that I had taken 25 years before that, or probably 30, um, I don't really want to know how many years it was, they all transferred. I was good to go. I just had to have the money. Well, then it just so happened that um, the Obama administration was offering all this, I say free money because that's how they advertised it, to go back to school. And as a mother and a stay-at-home mother, non-working um, at that time, you know, you can go back to school and we'll give you all this money. Well, I thought, wow, now what will I do? So I had my appointment with Glenn Yamakawa, and we looked at my strengths, and he looked at my spiritual giftedness, and he goes, he goes, did you ever think about being a counselor? And I go, like a life counselor or a psychological counselor? He goes, uh, a psychological counselor, somebody, uh, we have a master's degree program here, and I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. I'm here to get my bachelor's degree. Well, he's a good upseller, but he's really good at figuring out what people are are meant to do mm-hmm. with their gifts and talents. And so my best shot was the family life education program that would get me to where I needed to go to then go on to that that master's level work. And so that's when I meet Eric. And that's when I met a bunch of really, really great people. Yeah. And many of them I still miss that I don't get to talk to all the time. But Eric and I stayed in contact because he I will tell you, as I was the oldest in my cohort, I was called mom. But not by much, though. Um, We're old not by much. But anyway, his life experience and his mannerisms, his character, I'm like, oh, this is a guy I want to work with and do projects with. Well, there's a couple other people that we were like this foursome, and everybody wanted to be in our group and because we, we put our heads down, but we could laugh, but we had this great life experience between this little small group within our cohort of maybe 18 or 20 people tops. And um, I said, I'm adopting you as my little brother because I have two younger sisters and I didn't have a little brother. And so I adopted him. And so we've stayed in touch over the years. And that's how he got to meet you when you were in high school. When Mm -hmm. we graduated, you came to our party and and our dinner that we had downtown. I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, Oh my gosh! Uh, just about a decade later, to see those relationships, um, you know, come to, I don't know, full full circle in a way, because Eric was the guy who called me back in August saying, "Hey, we need a we need a, somebody to fill in and preach," and yeah. I'm like, "Sure, yeah, it'll be one or two weeks." Uh, well, I just uh, I'm getting well, ready to sign a new contract to be a full time pastor. Yes, because as friends, you know, he went on. Um, to get his his Mac degree master's in counseling, Mm -hmm. and I did not. Um, I'd prayed about it, and many of my cohort, including him, were very upset because they they saw in me, like, you have to. How can you not? And I said, well, before I started the program, I could have never said that I would not continue on. Because I think every, including myself, but everybody that knew me thought, this is it. Now she's back. You're not going to be able to get her out. Um, And I was contemplating PhD, but that was in my woundedness. That I thought that I would be taken seriously 
once that, you get this. Song. Once I have that alphabet string behind my name. Man, that's not just you either. That's a lot of people's insecurities, right? Yeah. Um, plus the church we went to highly valued higher learning and um, those alphabet letters. Which not that there it shouldn't be value placed in higher learning, but again, what's your motivation? Is it to exactly. fulfill an insecurity or is it because of what God's calling you to do? So during one of our classes and I think it was one of our philosophy classes where we had to do values testing. And um, then we had a, um, in another class, we had a, a local pastor who was our theology teacher, but he caught, he taught a couple of other of our classes. And um, I remember talking to him and just saying, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to go on. And he goes, wow. He goes, he goes, you've got everything you need to go on and really, you know, help people. Mm-hmm. And I go, but I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do yet. And he goes, well, well, let's just keep praying about it. And he was very faithful in praying for me too. And then I remember one class, I totally zoned out, totally zoned. I was in my own little world and I heard God tell me, I want you to go back into my church and help my hurting people towards move them towards and teach them healthy behaviors i want you to go back to church and help heal my people because if a church is doing their job it should be full of hurting people Mm -hmm. it should be full of healed people too but that's one thing i don't see churches doing very well is they leave it up to other people well you need a therapist you need this you need that well i'm here to tell you that therapy is great but you don't have to see a therapist to get to get well well and there's specialized training for specialized conditions. Very but, much so. But, um, yeah, so that's what I did. And I realized, wow, you can still serve God, but you don't have to have an alphabet behind your name. You just need some good training. But you need to know who you are and what your gifts are. And as women, we can't compare ourselves to other women or what other people are doing. It's and we all do this. We all think that somehow we have to be like everybody else. And I guess what I've learned is, is that you got to figure out what your gifts and talents are, which are unique, which make you the unique person that you are, and then do that to the best of your ability. Because God has, I guess in today's vernacular, God has a lane for everybody and each lane is not for everybody, but it's there for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's That's a very good metaphor. Um, because this is a, a big aspect. It's a, a passion of mine, but it's something we talked about. Um, my podcast with Eric is the it's the lane in which you know the church has to play mm-hmm. um, in healing people, and um, it's something that on my second podcast, second interview, Doctor Mark Friesius from Olivet, uh, my favorite professor of all time, he talked about how the normally the first century church it didn't really didn't really isolate um, or, excuse me, I guess outsource their, their problems um, to the state. They didn't allow the state to dictate the, the role of the church. The role, the, the role of the church, it just stepped into people's lives and then, and then it helps people right there. Instead of, you know, saying, no, we're basically domesticating people, saying the church, we're good to get you saved, but if you need any other care whatsoever, there is a non-for-profit, there is an NGO, there is, there's these counselors, there's a lot of, there's medical sciences that can help you. 
with and I and it's such an easy thing for the church to just say, hey, all these other things are out there. God works through science. God also does that. That is very true, and I'm very glad those things exist. The question we're not asking ourselves is, what role do those things have to play in this person's life, and what role does the church have to play in this person's life? Instead, it's, it seems as if sometimes we just make that decision for the person and not pray for the person or allow the person or teach the person to say, hey, how does God want you to heal? What people does he want you to be with? And and really just take that, that power right out of the, the people's hands. And how much I, I love and admire your gifts and talents, because they're really not my gifts and talents by any means. <laughs> you have so much more patience, just God-given patience than I do, it seems like from time to time, is that you connected this education, you took these tools, and you immediately reinvested them in the church. You didn't ask for a dime. You never have. You have been a catalyst for a lot of great conversations that I've had because you brought in these new words into my lexicon, you know, called woundedness. You know, like, what is that? Or boundaries. I don't know what those are. Um, okay, so your human experiment continued when I was in high school. You'd start throwing these things out there. And lo and behold, in the conversations I have with very hurt people, um, men or women, I'd, I'd use these this type of language. And, and as a bonus, I'd say, hey, and if you ever need somebody to talk to, this might be kind of weird, but my mother it offers her services free of charge. And the amount of people over the years that have taken me up on that when I was in high school or in college or after college has been amazing. And, and that is something, I don't know if in that class, that's what you, that vision that God gave you, but I can easily tell you, I mean, that, look how far we've come in this last 10 years of how God's been able to use that. Yeah, this has been a little more than 10 years, but I was very blessed because I attended a church at that time, one of the largest churches in Jackson County, that had room for all of that. And I was able to pair up with an amazing pastor there. And we were like, this would be amazing. And I, again, three times, I was going to shut the TV off one morning and I hadn't even graduated college yet but I was the TV was on and Joyce Meyer was to come on and I went to shut the TV off and I thought oh no maybe I'm supposed to watch this because I just said you know you ever go to shut something off or avoid doing something and you're like ah, and you're kind of like ah, drawn back to it yeah. so I left the TV on I thought oh she's not even preaching she's doing an interview I picked up the remote no kidding and I shut the TV off and I heard, I can't say it's an audible voice, but it was like kind of like how I could not not go to the altar. It was kind of, I couldn't put the remote down. I had to turn it back on. And she interviewed John and Stacy Eldridge. Mm -hmm. And they had just written the book Captivating. And it was all about women and their wounds. And I'm like, oh my, I was supposed to watch this show. I bought the book. I hadn't graduated Spring Arbor yet, but I read that book and it's like, how did they get inside my head? Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is fantastic. And so that I chewed on all summer. And then I, like I said, the church I was at, I said, I got a proposition. And I handed the book to this pastor and she's like, she read it and she's like, what do you got in mind? And I go, well, I've since now ordered the study book, the workbook and the DVD series. So I'm ready to go. And so we worked together organized this class called Captivating, and we had groups of women at a table, 
and we made sure over time that there was either a therapist or somebody who was well-versed and had gone through our class several times that we knew we could trust with women's hearts at their table as the table leader. And we, we just had an amazing ministry. The Holy Spirit had to work through me because I'm an introvert. I learned that at college. I don't like being up in front of people. Um, not totally comfortable behind this microphone. Even I didn't like how my voice sounded coming across the PA system. Um, I just didn't want to be up in front of the room having all these eyeballs on me, very uncomfortable. And I just had to be vulnerable and say, I don't like being here, but I'm here because this is what God told me to do. So let's do this, you know, and, and God took care of me. He took care of all those women's hearts. And we had women who quit their therapists and were like, no, don't do that. You, you've gained a lot of ground. Now go back and tell your therapist what you've learned here and go from there. And many of them just go, yeah, they weren't interested in hearing what I'd learned and they were, it must be about the money. And I'm like, I really, I hated to hear that because I know that there are good therapists out there that would have wanted to help take them to the next step. So then what I did was, is the journey that God took me on is what God gave me to do to pay it forward. So we did boundaries class with, um, um, Oh, the, the author's names are escaping me. How could Cloud and Townsend, mm -hmm. Dr. Henry Cloud. You can find his YouTube videos too. He's, he's a really great guy. So Cloud and Townsend, and we did their, I did their curriculum and it was amazing. And then after that, God had challenged me that, you know, what are you thinking about? Women, men either, but most of us don't think about what we're thinking about. Because Paul said, be transformed by the renew of your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, he also said we had to take captive every thought. Well, I think take captive means you've got to stop. It. What am I thinking about? Mm -hmm. Because when you realize that your thoughts influence your actions and your words, it starts there. And so what we learn in captivating class is that with every wound, Satan attaches a lie. And with that lie becomes a thought. And so that thought then becomes our, our, our words, our sentences that we, you know, we defined a story for ourselves. And so we tell ourselves, well, I can't because, and that becomes the lie, the narrative that frames everything we do. And I found myself going, that was me. That was me. And the more I healed my brokenness, allowed God in to heal the brokenness, then I was able to advance to that next level of, okay, now that I know what I value, then I can put healthy boundaries around that. And there were certain people could not be part of my life at that point because it's like having a sunburn when somebody, Dr. Phil talks about that, you have a sunburn, but you're wearing a shirt and coming up, somebody comes up and smacks you on the back and says, hey, how's it going? They didn't know you were sunburned and you feel pain. So what I learned that when people come up to you and you're in a hot mess and you're in your brokenness and your woundedness and somebody comes up and they, you claim that they push your buttons. It's not them. It's what you're hearing because of the lie that you believe and everything gets filtered through those lies. Mm -hmm. So, and then from there you can tell Paul says, look at somebody's fruit. I can look at somebody now from 
years of experience now, I can look at somebody and I can pretty much tell you, and, and you know I can do this, what's wrong, what's going on in that person's life. Because it becomes very apparent. There's patterns. I see the patterns. Yeah. And so women will hide. Men hide in our brokenness, like Adam and Eve, when they realize they sinned. Oh, of course. The shame comes in and they you hit. Just do it in different ways. Yeah. So women hide in our busyness and our make behind makeup. And now it's motivation again. Mm-hmm. Um, we buy stuff. We window shop, Amazon, Pinterest, whatever. These time robbers, anything to keep us busy, so that we can avoid the pain. Or we don't have to deal with the lies that we believe that we don't realize are lies. And men do the same thing, busyness, golfing, sports, you know, they deflect, you know, don't want to deal with their woundedness, their pain, their grief, their shame. Anything to avoid the long quiet, as I refer to it as, sitting with your own thoughts for a while. And when Um, scripture says, be still, and no, 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 because if I'm still, then that, the Holy Spirit starts. Yeah. Exposing. It, yeah, if I keep moving, I can't hear God. La, 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 I, nothing nothing to see here. But yet, uh, are we happy in our shame? No, because most women I know are tired. They're drained. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they have any romance in their life. They don't have any adventure anymore. Like your dad and I, like I said, I spoke to that. We had adventures. We did things together. And yes, there's, you, there's a pause when children come along. But if you don't get back to that, or men only think adventure, well, my wife's not adventurous. My wife doesn't. Well, no. Sometimes adventure is parenting together. Yeah. You know, it could be whitewater rafting. It could be hunting. I know couples that hunt together. They bowl. They golf. We each have to have our own friends to go do things with. But but as a couple, that's what women are longing for. It's that they want this adventure. They want to know that they are somebody's special priority. And what often happens is in our experience is that right when we need them the most, whether it was our father or a special grandparent, a grandfather or a spouse, or even for some girls, it was their older brother. When they needed that man, that male figure in their life to to show up, they didn't. They just let him down. They went passive. They pretended like they didn't see it. Um, or they were just controlling and angry people that you couldn't go to because you were afraid if you ticked them off, you would be the victim again. Um, so many women have shared their stories of sexual abuse and physical abuse that they couldn't tell anybody, not even their own dads. Because mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. their dad was the source. So with Father's Day coming up, it's not always a great time for oh, a lot of people. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, this is something so, that I've talked about numerous times with with the young women in my life and, and also the young men. And because there's a, there's a big movement right now that's affecting a lot of young people. And this is adding salt on the wounds of a very social media age where I'm um, talking about jumping through hoops and, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being a young woman and be so confused as to what uh, you're supposed to do. And not, and of course, adding pornography on top of it and like what is that expectation there is supposed to be and what men really appreciate there. Then it's reflected in the music and music videos and in movies, uh, the Mar- even like the Marvel movies. This is what a woman should be like, act like, and do. And then you have, you know, where the, the women's suffrage movement born, uh, which gives birth to uh, the real like ancient version, I would say ancient now of feminism. And now we have new age feminism. And again, you have comparisons. You have uh, on social media, you have the world of influencers on Instagram and TikTok and, and the like. And now you add in this body positivity movement of 
you know, I am beautiful the way that I am, or the positive uh, phrase of I, I am, am enough. enough. What particular wounds are those people, ideas, themes, motifs even, what wounds are those speaking to? Why are those things so captivating that even though they're so hurtful, but what? Why are they so appealing to women in particular? I personally don't think they are. I Well, it is to those who believe the lie Which in, what's of the, the original lie? feminist movement yeah. that, inf- that influenced me. or It didn't influence me, but it was what was in the cultural, the cultural noise of my formative years was, you know, a woman could bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan. Now, there are women who are really good at their career because mm-hmm. they have a passion for it. And there are a lot of women who are torn between that passion and then also wanting that that family, that God-given, which I had. It's like that's what my struggle was. I want to be a mom, but I knew I couldn't be a good mom or a great mom and have a great career. Something has to give because we're all only given the same amount of time. And I I don't know. I just always, in my in my heart, always wanted to do something well. And I think that that gnaws at a lot of women because they know they're failing somewhere in their life. And But if you're a single mom who, like I said before, the man you thought you could trust is nowhere to be found, and now you're a single mom and you have to work, you talk about where the church has a valuable role is look at your congregation churches. Look at how many single parents you have. And it could be a single dad too, but it's harder for the single woman. And in a culture that I grew up in, was very misogynistic. You even look at, like, back in the 1500s, I mean, Luther had some very disparaging comments about women. Um, The Catholic Church as well, St. Thomas Aquinas, terrible, terrible comments about women. Like, we can tell you're smart if you've got broad shoulders and narrow hips. Well, we know women are just the opposite. They're narrow-shouldered and wide at the hip, which is good for sitting on and raising children, Mm -hmm. birthing children you know, the birthing person yeah. we hear about today, yeah, um, the it. birther. Um, and so women were like never appreciated. So when I read Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. as part of captivating class, um, the pastor I was working with, she's like, I just love this book. And I'm like, I hate it. I hate this book. I've always hated it. And she's like, what? And I said, it's a to-do list. It's impossible. So in my woundedness, I saw in my perfectionism, which is wounds, um, of never measuring up, living to a scorecard, jumping through hoops, if you, you know, whatever you, it is for you. But for me, it was an impossible to do list. You know what I want, who I could identify with in Proverbs 31 is her husband, who is one of the elders in the community out by the gate, who was holding court every day, because that spoke to that lawyer part of me, the loving the law. I wanted to be there. I wanted his job. But the point of Proverbs 31 was not a to-do list. It's a list of opportunities. Yeah, It's all the ways that God says women can do just about whatever they want, but, but whatever you do, you have to do it well because this elder who was at the gate judging life and death cases potentially knew that he could go to work every day and do his job 
because things were cared for and done well at home. He knew that one of his kids wasn't going to be judged at the gate someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's where partnership comes in again, where each each person in the marriage has an irreplaceable role. And I love Mother's Day and Father's Day so that we take that opportunity to acknowledge that irreplaceable role or to acknowledge those that stepped in mm-hmm. those irreplaceable roles and, and was like, there were several women who in, in, in harmony with my mother were also moms to me. And they brought something totally different to the table and taught me different things because not one mom can teach their child everything. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it's not a point or a place of jealousy. It is adding to. I mean, our attitude should be, I want what's best for my kid. And so your dad and I were very intentional about our friends because we wanted to make sure that even the people we had in our lives would add to yours as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you're speaking to a lot of things that for maybe some people, they don't even realize uh, that those things are there. Uh, I remember... It's funny you even you mentioned these these words again. I, I I referred to it earlier as these words adding to my lexicon of woundedness boundaries. I remember asking one of my friends uh, at, at college. I just I started out one of our conversations by saying, "Hey friend, how are you wounded?" And he kind of looked at me side, sideways like I just arrived from Mars. He goes, "What are you talking about?" And I explained it, and then he goes, well, "I never thought about it." And then it prompted a really nice conversation. But the only reason why I had the conversation to begin with was because of the conversations we had. Um, and it was acknowledgement that for a lot of men hearing about woundedness, uh, something females will be able to identify with probably much easier just in the language standpoint of, hey, you, we've, we've been hurt. Yeah. And, and women usually, you know, I have found in my life just from a personal experience, much more easy to talk about how, how they feel a certain way. Um, the why is all over the place We because the, the culture tries to add to that whole why and they try to fulfill that need again with, hey, this is how you should be or this is what you should do. This is what you should believe in response to those negative feelings. Um, us guys, we don't know how to talk. We don't know how to verbalize it. But when you explain it in the fact that we as humans, not just because of our sin nature, we have been hurt by something and by someone. Well, for the most part, it's not for everybody. Um, and so a lot of us are insulated um, to a lot of it, but there's still insecurities. And like, why do we have insecurities? Where do those come from? Um, why, do, or why do we as men sometimes act in anger, want to put our fist through a wall when it comes to certain things? We can see something and see an injustice here and be just fine, but yet something that's very arbitrary to other people what makes us want to throw things. And, it, and so if I'm talking to the men here from what I've learned from you is what in your life makes you want to put your fist through the wall. And maybe you can start seeing some common things in those in those instances. And that the best part is if you are married or you have a girlfriend or you're close to your mom, I bet the women in your life could tell you, oh yeah, that he so and so or oh yeah, well, let me tell you about Jeffrey here. I can tell you how he's how he's hurt. The women have an idea. Um, that's but, the thing that men will avoid yeah. in terror. They'll, yeah. They will avoid that conversation because it's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't want any woman mm-hmm. telling me what, where I'm failing because in, yeah. in our sin nature after the fall, you know, a man, as John and Stacey Elders talk about in Captivating, but John wrote a book called Wild at Heart that, that speaks to men and their woundedness. You know, and, and I'll just take a, a step back. 
when Jesus got up to preach for the first time or to teach in the synagogue. And we know in the synagogue, women were allowed, but men were only allowed in the inner chamber, kind of like in Islam today, men and women worship separately. But Jesus pulled out the scroll from Isaiah. And he reads from Isaiah 63, where he talks about, I have come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. He's speaking to men. So this whole idea of brokenheartedness is not uniquely female. No, not at all. Men just don't want to talk about it and, because and, vulnerability right. is scary. Yeah, and it's it is terrifying weakness. for most people. Now, the advantage women have is that we will sit and talk, but we as a group will still, we go to the mean girl thing before we'll sit down and have a heart to heart and be vulnerable, like strip the makeup off. Strip off the designer clothes, get in your comfortable sweats or whatever, and just sit down and let's just talk. I mean, men don't talk about a lot of things, but there are a lot of things that women don't talk mm -hmm. about or they don't share, and especially from one generation to the next, which is why I like mentoring. We can talk about that in a little bit. But, but men have the same wounds that women have, and when men in their sin nature, their fallenness, we all have that broken spirit place in our heart and men try to go to women to fix it when they need to be going to God. And then women go to a man and say, I need the romance. I need the love. I need to feel special. And we'll offer her body to this man who will be like, okay, I'll, I'll use you and abuse you. I'll, I'll use you as long as you'll let me. And both parties walk away more wounded than when they came together which is in defiance of God, which we'd call sin if you have, you know, sex like their intimacy like that outside of marriage. And, and so th the point is, how do we talk to one another? How do we share our deepest fears? Like for men I've talked to, and in the book they talk about every day a man gets up and says, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to go out in this dog eat dog un, you know world and i'm wearing milk bone underwear do i have what it takes to go out there and do my job take care of my family um how do i do it because there aren't a lot of dads that will teach that even to their sons if the dads are around so we've got how many generations now of young men who have no mentor no leader to teach them what it is to be a man so a man what women are craving is a man's strength but where did it go? And strength is not muscle on top of muscle on top of muscle. I mean, yeah. I've told just many times before that a woman can appreciate a man who's got a nice build and takes care of himself. But in the end, we want to know, are you going to take care of me and our kids? And if you're just a model, we're kind of like, okay, but what's your day, what's your real job? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, tell me you've exactly. got a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. How are we going to make this work? And then you know, women, um, so men in their fallenness can either get real angry and, you know, they're abusive, their anger is not held in check. And in our culture, when I was growing up, men could be angry because that's just what men are. You know, men are just angry and men will vent. Men put holes in the wall. Better that they put a hole in the wall than, than you know, hit you. Um, and I always just thought, well, whatever happened to self-control? Yeah, whatever no happened to discipline, right? Um, so I heard a lot of excuses growing up, which that didn't make sense to me, and it just made me angry. And then I would see women in my life who were controlling and angry. Mm -hmm. Like, I want a partner, but 
I'm going to, this is my house, my this, my that, my, my, my. And it's like, wait a minute, I thought this was a partnership. And so I got to see some good relationships where couples were partners, like my my um, maternal grandparents, and they had fun, they had adventure. They could argue, but they could play and have fun and make us laugh. And they did a lot of things together. And they always um, made up. And and when I, I chuckled when I would read that verse about do not let the sun go down in your anger, always made me think of my grandparents. Like, they could really have a doozy of an argument and disagree, but they always settled it. And they never stayed angry for yeah. very long. And I just thought it was beautiful. And I always chuckled when I read, I finally read that verse. I'm like, that was my grandma and grandpa. And so women can be desolate and needy too. They can be like, I, I just, just help me. You know, they're the victim. They're the whiny. Yeah. They can't do anything. They can't make up their mind. And then women can be very complex and be both. In this, I mean, the husband can see his wife be real controlling at home. And then she's like spineless, wimpy around her friends and other people. And he's like, what is going on? And we're not even aware. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these conflicts that are happening in our relationships with women to women and between men and then between men and women. And it all goes back to that original sin nature and our brokenness and how we wounded. Because you could have a great home life, but I'm telling you, you don't get through junior high and high school and live in the culture we live in where it's all about body image and what I look like on the outside. And we're not taught by the church that we need to take all of these aches. I mean, we have aches. We have desires that are going unmet that only God can fulfill. Only God can make happen. And he can provide the healing that we need, but we have to be able to talk about it. And it's not like I'm making this stuff up. This is all in scripture, mm -hmm. all in scripture. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing unique. We, I think in our culture today, we think we are so special. We are so unique and I am just, you know, God's gift to the rest of the people. And our culture reinforces that, that specialness, but not in a, not in a godly sense, but in a completely narcissistic completely selfish way of you better get out of my way because this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to do to make myself happy. And in this kind of body positivity movement, it's maybe moving from, oh, well, I was doing these things, um, whatever that behavior was, to fulfill this void. But now I'm being told there isn't a void because I can feel proud of any decision that I make. And so that's the danger is where maybe 20 years ago, we're having that conversation about, okay, um, for, for the guy, you're going to the gym because you feel insecure because you're not looking like the other guy who's got the hot chick, who's got the really nice sports car and who seems to have it all. So I'm going to go to the gym because I have a massive inferiority complex. I want to mass, I'm going to basically mask that insecurity with getting big arms. So that's that. Well, that's what people maybe are told, like, hey, so why are you going to the gym? Like, you don't need to do that. It's kind of like the, the typical bro um, mm -hmm. is what we, we refer to it as. Um, but in this body positivity movement, we can kind of skip around that saying, it doesn't matter if it's insecure or not. You do you. You are doing you. You're living your own life. So there's a little bit of truth in the fact that, hey, don't let anyone shame you for doing what you want to do. Like, that's a really important truth. But then it's masked by the whatever behavior that leads to. 
is fine. There's no, there's nothing wrong or unethical about it. You do you, boo. And, <laughs> and, and, and whatever behavior that looks like, it's completely accepted. And if other people don't accept it, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. Right. And so we're not even talking about conforming anymore if there's no standard. That's where I see the danger is that the church is not seeing this completely subjective, um, everything is accepted kind of movement with behavior, looks, you name it. And we, we don't have anywhere to stand saying, no, this is what the objective standard ought to look like. And we're not pushing back on that. We're not recognizing this really sinister lie that's going on in the culture. And I see that in the conversations online and in, in some of the, the people that I've met. Um, it's it's no no longer shame, which in a way is a good thing, but it's but it's like, so you've embraced the lie that this behavior now is healthy. Um, whereas before, maybe it was unhealthy and they knew that, but now I'm being encouraged. No, there's actually nothing wrong with it anymore. Like, this is what gives me, I mean, makes me feel happy. Now, I think you and I would both say that even deep down, they know there's still a void there. It's just going to be a lot harder to get through because now they feel vindicated in their behavior. Well, to quote a young pastor that I know, who's at the center? And it goes back to that. If I am constantly at the center, then it is always going to be about me. I have my own solutions, whatever, whatever. But we got to go back to and talk about original sin and the consequences. What I love about psychology is it mirrors scripture so well, and they're called theories. And I I have to laugh at that because um, if I was to get my counseling degree, I would have to be a Christian counselor because I cannot talk to women and not go to scripture because it is clearly there. So you choose the behavior, you choose the consequence called choice theory, (laughs) but we call it reaping and sowing or God calls it reaping and sowing. You will reap what you sow. So if you're going to choose this behavior, then you are knowingly choosing this consequence. Ignorance is no excuse. Mm -hmm. You get pulled over for speeding. Well, I didn't know what the speed limit was. Ignorance is no excuse of the law. Um, the same thing with scripture. Ignorance is no excuse of God's law. We know, and we can find it very easily. And so let's get back to the proper motivation then. You work out because the Holy Spirit is, you are a temple that houses the Holy Spirit of of God. Um, we take care of ourselves so that we are fit to do the work that he's called us to do. Now there are all kinds of things that can get in the way of that. But if your sole motivation is to go to the gym and work out so that you can land that special girl or that that special guy, um, again, you're going to reap what you sow. Um, I had my great-grandmother, I'll never forget it, she had said to us, her great-granddaughters, don't marry a pretty boy because he will spend more time looking at himself in the mirror than he does paying attention to you. And, and it was like, we already knew that because we'd already experienced that because we all wanted to date that guy, but he's so shallow. And if push comes to shove, he's in it for himself, not you. So that chivalry, that man that we need to show up, not going to be there. Mm -hmm. So when a survey came out a few years ago about what man's body was more attractive to women, was it the dad bod or the you know, guy that works out in the gym, the dad bod won out every time because in our mind, that guy is the guy that's going to be there. That's the guy that's going to stick it out when times get tough. 
and not just bolt off to the gym because he's got to look good. That's the guy that my grandmother, great-grandmother, warned us about that would be going to the gym, staring at himself in the mirror while he's pumping iron, while you're still at home trying to hold down the fort. Well, where is this partnership? Where is this we're in it together? Where is your strength when I need you? Don't worry about the external beauty, which we have redefined as strength. Show up for me spiritually. Where's the Joshua's? For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord as they're pounding their staff into the ground, making this very fervent statement that, you know, I am serving God, which means I am out here and I'm going to take the hits and I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to be my family shepherd. Nobody's going to get in and hurt my wife and my kids. Mm -hmm. But men now, they let people say whatever they want to their kids their wives, they're not there. If they're there at all, they just still don't say anything. They don't show up in their God-given strength. And then women, we don't either. We don't show up in our God-given strength, which is vulnerability and being able to show mercy. Because when that guy goes out into the world and wonders if he has what it takes and the world tells him no, no, and beats him over the head and says, uh, no, and you never will have what it takes, um, as you're striving and competing for that promotion or the next pay raise, or maybe you're an athlete, you know, your, your career is very unstable. It's whoever comes along that's the brightest, the quickest, the fastest, the strongest, and then you're out. You're yesterday's news. So they need to come home to somebody that says, I understand. Mm -hmm. You know, you're this, I'm a soft place to land. Come on in, take your shoes off. But we don't do that because if it's all about us, again, who's at the center, if it's me, then you need to come home and you need to listen to me and you need to, yeah, they they do need to step up and help out at home, but they, they might need a few minutes of that mercy. It's going to be okay. You mm -hmm. did a great job. Your boss may not appreciate you, but I certainly do because you work hard and doggone it, you know, he's going to know it if I get a chance, you know, you know, you, you step in and you say to your spouse, yeah. You wait till I get a hold of your boss. Well, I'll go, you know, not that you're trying to solve the problem, but you're just letting them know you're their biggest cheerleader. And I tried to do that with you, and I wasn't always th that good at it, but, and I apologize, but I always wanted you to know that you were doing a good job and that when you came home from school even, that home was a safe place. And yeah. my heart breaks for husbands and wives and children whose home is not their safe place to land. Yeah, that... And then that is kind of, you know, in a way, bringing it full circle as far as our relationship goes. Um, you know, for those listening, my mom has these gifts and talents, but she's also a person and also my mom. And when it comes to our relationship, as far as feeling safe, there was there was nothing I knew I couldn't talk to you or dad about. Now, like shame is, of course, part of a lot of that, too. That That's going to be regardless of, of who it is. But one of the things that I was always... Um, conscientious of is, is your love and your care, your affection for me. And what added to our relationship is kind of this, and you talked about it earlier, this kind of like mentorship is that you had mom hat and you had counselor hat. You had, okay, I need a sage person to go to for this. And I came to you with all sorts of problems and we were able to, to work through a, a lot of them. And as you continue to be that for so many other people and how we've transitioned, God has led our, our family um, away from well, the churches that we grew up in, um, you know, your role, uh, you know, in the actual physical church building has changed, but it hasn't been uh, impacted by outside because you will continue 
to have an impact outside the church building for the sake of the church, and you have gone back into mentoring. And again, it's it's astonishing for maybe some people. It's like, why aren't you charging money? You could earn a fortune uh, for it. But you but you have now taken on this this newer role of, of mentoring people. And so I, I guess as what I can only imagine, like the conversations we've had, because you Lord knows how much you could charge me if you charge me by the hour. Um, I'd owe you just you about. You couldn't as, afford me. You no, know, I couldn't. I couldn't afford it. Um, what <laughs> What led to this new era of of mentoring for you? Is it just another divine appointment? Another three three signs of okay, I guess I'll do it. I that was my passion. I I, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that's the season of life that I'm in. Um, you know, in psychology, we study transitional phases of life, and so having an adult child. Um, and those responsibilities, you know, waning. You're still my kid. Um, mm-hmm. I am still a person of influence in your life, but you are on your own and you're doing great and you know how to take care of yourself. And so um, I'm at the age of my life, you know, I'm pushing 60 in a few years. And so it, this is the time of legacy of what are you leaving behind? And, um, most people my age have grandchildren that they start working on for legacy, but I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, I may not see grandchildren this side of heaven, but but that doesn't mean that that my ministry stops. You know, there's other people's grandkids, um, so I feel a very special calling to whoever God brings across my path, and it goes back to divine appointments again. After I stopped teaching at that church that I was at, I still had the same passion. I still had the same knowledge. I still had the same gifts and talents. So, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then it wasn't like, boom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) an opportunity came up and it was like, oh, this is cool because this is my comfort zone is one-on-one. This is where I... Mm -hmm can make it personal. When you're doing a big class, you can't make it personal. It has to kind of be one size fits all. And then you leave it up to the table leaders to make it more personal. And so now I can be that, that guide, that mentor that, um, mostly it's been younger people, younger than myself and God divine appointments. Again, somebody will come across my path and boom, I just know that. So I extend an offer and I have had the best time and I excited because I am always excited about what God's going to teach me every time. How, what am I going to learn from this person? And they're all about, you got to help me. You got to save me. And it's like, yeah, that's God's job. But in scripture, back in Genesis three, when God created Eve, it gets translated that Eve was the helper or the helpmeet. Mm-hmm. But the Hebrew word is Ezer or Ezer, however you want to pronounce it. And Ezer is only used in the Old Testament. And the only time it was used for is for God. And it meant savior, helper, like the helper, the one when you need him the most, you call out for your Ezer. And so I've always looked at as this femininity thing, this being a woman as that helper, that that savior person, the one that comes to your rescue. And I think that is a perfect description of what mothers are. Mm, yeah. 
you know, for not just their children, but even for their, their spouse, their mate. And that's what I think we're supposed to be for one another, especially older women to younger women. If I could save one young person from the mistakes of their woundedness, from the lies that they've believed, that they were told, whether it came through physical abuse or sexual abuse, and there's so much of both of those. And that's most of the ministry that I deal with now. Mm. But because there's so many victims, we have to have people that can, you know, clean up on aisle six. And I would love to do that before they get into adulthood and have several children and choose the wrong men. Yeah, and exactly. Just, you know, make every choice that has a consequence, I'll be bad. Let's make good, healthy choices. Let's get the wounds opened up because, you know, even old wounds still have never fully healed over. As we know in the body, when a wound heals, there's a nice scar and that skin is even tougher. But with woundedness, it leaks out. That pus is a wound that never quite heals. And it leaks out, and we hear it in people's attitude, their quick tempers, like you were talking about, you know, punching the wall. Those are usually indications that somebody is, like, slapping that sunburn or poking around where they don't, you don't want them to go. And for me, for women, we, we build walls around our heart. Men do, too, but it, it looks differently. For me, it was that, it was controlling. It was, I'm like the Southern Michigan prison, which I grew up by as a kid, and, and I... My, I had gun towers. I would mm. pull out my machine gun and chop you off at the knees. You would never get close to my wounds. And so I would hide behind this, you know, really polished exterior. And, you know, I had, I could debate like a lawyer and, you know, could dress the part and everything. And so I was very intimidating. I'm surprised I even let your dad get close, but, um, that, that ruins relationships right there, that type of woundedness, and you see that a lot. So it leaks out. Mm -hmm. That pus leaks out because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Scripture tells us. So if you don't guard your heart, Proverbs 4.23, um, God says your heart is top priority with me. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If you got a broken heart, if you got a wounded heart, Every choice you make and all of the consequences that follow will point right back to that wound. And I can look at the fruit. I can look at how a woman hides. I can chase it back to what, you know, trace it back to where she's hiding, to what the fears are, and to what the original wound is because the lies will be in there and they'll be all, it, it, it leaks out. Everybody sees it, but not everybody knows how to address it. We just say, oh, there goes that beep, you know, which with the B in the front. And, mm -hmm. oh, there goes that. Mm. And women are just terrible with one another, but men join in the chorus too and just look right past that, oh, wow, there is an angry woman. You show me a very angry woman all the time that's right under the surface or a man, and I'll, I can tell you that what the wound probably is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, I mean, that will resonate with a lot of people. And as far as as people as people go, uh, that I think if from a universal standpoint, and there isn't anyone who isn't affected by it, uh, just because of the fallen nature of our world. And you had, you had mentioned it uh, prior that growing growing up in this society, mm -hmm. like you're gonna be touched by it, or you're going to marry into it, or be around friends, and 
Um, that's, I think, it's very important. We're talking about reconciliation uh, in relationships and being able to bear with one another, uh, grant mercy to one another, and forgive one another, be able to do that in a biblical way that even if hurting people hurt other people, um, understanding motive is huge and, and granting you know, forgiveness and reaching reconciliation in relationships. And, and so I guess for, for those who might hear this, and it might really speak to them because they're listening to it in a podcast format, you know, there's not anyone maybe else around, no one else can hear, uh, there's no one else there to say, oh, see, hey, that's you. But if they're feeling that conviction, what, what are those people's next step? Are there resources that you would recommend of, other than obviously reading Scripture and all of Scripture, not just, not just portions of it? Um, what, what are some other resources people can do saying, you know what, what Julie's saying makes sense, but I don't know what the next step is? Well, for the young ladies out there um, who I know that God's given me the passion to be that Ezer and to pay it forward, you can reach out to Michael on his podcast and he can talk with me. And I'm one of my values is privacy. So I'm not going to give up my phone number or my email address on a public forum. No way. Um, and people who know me are laughing right now going, oh, no, no, she never would do that. Right. Um, but I really would recommend for the ladies, um, John and Stacy Eldridge, their book, Captivating. It's They've got a new edition that's revised, so some of the language and examples are more contemporary um, and relevant to today. And then um, Wild at Heart for Men. Um, some men don't like the book. Other men really like the book. Um, I guess you just have to decide, but if you don't like, if you're a guy and you don't like the men's version, then read captivating. Or if you're a man listening by both, give one to your wife and you read the other one or vice versa. Um, the thing that was really helpful to my husband and I was when I read captivating, um, he didn't think he was wounded didn't right. want to discuss wounds. So I said, Classic. well, can I come to you every week? I'll read a chapter and I will highlight the things that really jumped off the page at me. And I, can you have your Bible and read the scripture? And then as we share, I'll let you know what scripture I need you to look up and then we can discuss it. And I'll tell you, that was one of the, I can still remember it like it happened yesterday. It was very, very fruitful time for us as a couple and I got to hear stories that, from him that I had never heard before. Yeah. This is when I was in college, right? No, no, well, it happened too, before that. You before were in that? high school. Yeah. Gotcha. Doing my own thing. That's yeah. why I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you were always after school with some sport or marching band or something. Okay. So, um, but we, or you were downstairs playing video games and yeah. we'd be up in the living room having this deep discussion, <laughs> you know, about our woundedness and crying sometimes and enjoying scripture. Um, and so that's how he got to know me. And that was so cathartic. Um, Ian LeVansant, she's on um, OWN Network and has a show every Saturday night. And her quote is, every wound needs a witness. Meaning, everybody deserves to have somebody hear their story. Mm. And do not get married until you know somebody's complete story of where the wounds are. Because where the wounds are are the landmines. When... You come home or you're in an argument or you're out in the with your in-laws and something happens and somebody all of a sudden is triggered. 
and you're like, what did I do? What did I have? You say to your girlfriends, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I said. Or the guys say to each other, I don't know what her problem is, but every time, you know, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I said, but I'm sure it's going to be my fault. I, I know that sounds familiar to people, but what it was is somebody in their woundedness was triggered. Somebody stepped on a landmine and that person was reminded of that constant wound. And scripture tells us how much Satan hates us, but we don't fully grasp it until we understand that once he creates that wound and attaches a lie, he will reinforce it. So to the guy who picks the wrong woman and he keeps picking the wrong woman and picking the wrong woman and to the woman who picks the same guy, the brown guy over and over and over, there is a pattern and that pattern is going back to the wound and going back to the lie that you believe. Gotcha. And so that's how it perpetuates. And, and that's just like one example how, yeah, somebody, it's like dad, a little standoffish to that whole thing, um, came around to it and it, it yes. led to very, very fruitful things. So just one more time, the name of those books? Captivating by John and Stacy Eldridge. And then the companion book is Wild at Heart, which is one's captivating for women, Wild at Heart for men. For men. Okay. But women typically buy both and read both. Men will rarely even read just their book, let right. alone both books. But that's something you would encourage people. If this is speaking to something, guess yes. what? In the world of Amazon and just podcasts, no one else has to know. And then once <laughs> you go through that and you can identify your bound, um, your wounds, then go on to boundaries. Because where you have those landmines, you need to protect those. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a wound. You have to just kind of like take care of the wound until it heals, sure. until the scar is formed. And so you can't keep the same people in your life or like when you're a recovering addict, you don't go back to the same people yeah. that got you into the addiction or enabled your addiction. You have to separate from those people. And sometimes that's what you have to do in relationships. There could be places, events. And then also in your woundedness to the wounds are connected. The, the, not just the messages, but there could be sights and sounds. So you really, a good therapist will help you explore all that, but you need to have the boundaries in place. So Cloud and Townsend, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend have written a myriad of boundary books. So boundaries in dating, boundaries in marriage, boundaries for teenagers, boundaries for or just general boundaries. And so I taught the general boundaries class. I have all the information for that as well. And then I wrote the curriculum for stinking thinking. And that is really diving in and looking at challenging yourself. What am I thinking about? And is it true or is it a lie? You know, taking captive every, yes. every thought. And then going back to scriptures, your source for the truth. Yeah. And, and so it's like three, kind of three phases. And it was actually really, really fun to look back, you know, over a decade ago, seeing you go through those, not just the education, but then seeing how God worked in you thereafter to teach these classes and, it was like we knew it was we knew it was a uh, mom season to teach because conversations would start in 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 house and then you would you would start to um you would start to really really start to like test dad and I on some things and we'd give you some feedback and you you would just put a hundred and ten percent effort into it and so very very grateful uh, for those times and I'm glad that we have been have believe had not just this opportunity here, but the continuing opportunity to educate people in our lives with the passion that God's given us. And for those, at least, maybe hearing this for the first time, this type of language, who can be brand new, which it was for me, that having a direction to, to go in uh, is, is great. 
Well, the fourth thing, if if you've got a good handle on the first couple of topics, um, the the spiritual, a really good spiritual deep dive into idolatry. That was the last phase of my journey, other than just taking everything that God had taught me and and then teaching it, because that's the best way to learn is mm-hmm. to take what you've learned and pay it forward, share it with other people, and really get it cemented in. And every time I would teach and every time I mentor, I learn from not only the the person I'm mentoring, but I also learn where I've done the hard work and where my scars are, where the wounds are healed. And then once in a while, something will come up and I'm like, oh, I I thought that area was taken care of. And I obviously have a little bit more work to do. But just remember, not all anger is bad. It's just in our anger, do not sin. sin. There, there is righteous anger, and we need righteous anger. Is the things that make God angry need to be making us angry too? We need to say that is wrong, that is sin, and this has got to stop. Yeah, yeah, and that that takes knowing your gospel, um, and we're going to talk about it. And Dad, Dad has said this for for years that you know Jesus is the one who said, "If you love me, then you'll obey my commands." And the next question is, "Well, what are his commands?" And then we'd be like, well, wait a minute. If we're if if God is angered by the sin, especially we see those demonstrations in the Old Testament, the question is, well, what were they pe- people doing to make God so upset? And that seems to be a fleeting topic. We don't want to talk about those objective wrongs. Uh, if there's an objective right, objective standard of living, then there has to be the opposite. Then, right? Exactly. And and so these things speak to um, they they coalesce around Scripture mm-hmm. and. But like that, they're all scripture based. But what they reveal are the things, whether it, like you mentioned from stinking thinking, whether it's from the boundaries or lack thereof, or um, it's wild at heart, captivating, speaking to the wounds of us, those long desired needs. It's speaking to something that has gone wrong because these things are the effect of sin. And if we don't have an understanding of what sin is, or what we understand in the theology term of theodicy, if we don't talk about that then we're not going to recognize these things as bad. We're not going to recognize a bad pattern as a bad pattern. Like, what's the problem with that? Why do I need to change? Why is that behavior and pattern wrong? And and that's going to be more difficult and more difficult if the church continues to stay silent. We're going to we're going to continue to lose battles on that on the on the front lines thinking, "Well, wait a minute. We don't even know what we're talking about here because now we we got Christians Soldiers just kind of crisscrossed and like not order. Not only are our marching orders different, we don't even know who our enemy is. Yeah, I I always wanted to know why did I have to pay twenty three thousand plus dollars to learn what I valued? Mm. Why? Yeah, did I have to do a lot of That's learning on my own to figure out what my spiritual gifts were? A lot of churches are good at giving the spiritual gifts yeah. test and then they stop. Other churches will take it a next step, like our our them? church did. Yeah. And, and teach you what they are, how to develop them. But I have gifts that there is no training for. So if there, I'm serious. If there is anybody out there that's ever come across a book on how to develop the gift of discernment or prophecy, please let me know because I still need to learn a lot about those two areas. I, I, I mostly discernment, but it was one of those divine appointments again, answered a prayer when I had a lot of anger, frustration in my life where 
I just knew things and I couldn't get people to believe me. Very, very frustrating. Well, then I learned it was the gift of discernment. And it's like, well, isn't that's a valuable gift? I mean, the scripture says it is. It is a gift from God. It's not given to just anybody. But it really felt like a burden to me more than a gift because of the reaction I got from God's people. Like, either, you know, why do you think you're just smarter than the rest of us? You know, you don't have the... We went to theology school, you didn't, which kind of set in my mind, I want those alphabet letters behind my name, then I will will have leverage or I will have credibility. And it's like, you know, then God taught me, no, 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 no. I gave you this gift. Well, then God paired me up. (laughs) I met this woman. I ended up interviewing her for a college paper. And in talking to her, I realized that she was gifted the same way. So, I, hey, set this Simon aside. I need to talk to you about this now. And I met with her several times. And she's in her 90s now and still can teach me things about my gift of discernment. And the one thing she said, the reason why you're getting angry is that people aren't listening to you. She goes, um, do you ever read about the prophets in the Old Testament? They were... If they weren't like, they were put to death. So you're still here. So I'm like, all right, I have to put that in perspective. But it's never, never going to be that these people will come back to you and say, you were right. I go, well, why not? And she says, because then it would be about you and not about God. And I'm yeah. like, gulp. Yeah. Who is at the center? Yeah, who is at the center? So I was angry because they weren't listening to me righteous anger says, I need to be upset because they're not listening to God. But that's still their choice. Choose the behavior, choose the consequence. So if you choose as a church not to listen to all of the gifts and not utilize all of the gifts, then woe unto you. Because God sends warnings through people with discernment and prophecy. He will help the church, but the church needs to help develop all of the gifts. And usually churches say, if you're a sir, you have a gift of service, which is we we've learned is the most widely dispensed, dispensed yeah. you know, gift. Then there's all kinds of opportunities to serve, right? Yeah. And and so you can learn to hone your skills by a lot of the other people who are older than you have been in service for decades. But it's really hard to find the fellow prophets, the fellow discerners, and say, okay, how do we develop this gift? Um, how do we use it wisely? And how do we get out of our own way? How do we make this not about us? And how do we get across our message without sounding like know-it-alls? And that's been the challenge. And and some of that you just learn as you get older. Um, sometimes it's just called tact, <laughs> and then and or the Bible calls it just you know speaking in love. But it is frustrating when the church just like yeah can't hear through all the noise and they they don't care to right. But why wouldn't you want to? If I was a leader or a board member or a pastor, I would I would want to run these ideas or if I had a planning committee or something say, where are our discerners and what's God what's God saying to you yeah. about what, what's coming up? And what's exciting about what's going on in Hillsdale County is that it sounds like there are pastors who have the gift of discernment and they're listening to their people who have discernment because God is on the move in yeah. Hillsdale County. And that's the thing. He, he always is. And it's just whether or not we want to partake in that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's a hard and arduous journey 
to pursue the will of God. It's, it's well, As a pastor, can I ask you this question? Because I think I represent a lot of people that are listening. And the frustration of mine over the years, since I even as a little kid going back to my Catholic days, when, when you have a pastor that says, I've prayed and this is what God's told me, and yet you've got a bunch of other people who don't have all the alphabet letters or all the training saying, well, God's not telling us that. He's telling us something else. Why Why is it oh, that the pastor, one guy or one woman, their hearing from God takes priority over maybe even half of their church that's well, saying something different? That, that's such a great question uh, because ideally the the people are the ones that hired them, so they, they put trust in that person to do it. So inevitably, it's on them because they're the ones that have installed that person. Now, whether or not things have grown apart, obviously there would be if the if you're both praying and coming to completely opposite uh, conclusions on a matter and you're both claiming that you're hearing from God, obviously one party's wrong. There's a paradox there that's not one party's hearing, or maybe both aren't hearing from God. But wouldn't that God. be the time then to go to okay, who are discerners and where are the prophets and what else is going on? Or inform the rest of the church, I would say. More transparency there is better in order to say, hey, here's what's going on or being able to meet together. But the the thing is we don't want to meet together because also another thing I don't think the church is very good at is conflict resolution. We don't like the word conflict because that implies that uh, maybe somebody could potentially be in the wrong, but we just got done establishing. We don't like to deal with right and wrong as well as we used to. So when we have a rift, the better way of dealing it is either not talking about it or, well, hey, you guys put me in place. You guys trusted me, and so I have to make the decision, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And and so it becomes about what? Is it the person? Is it is it the vision that I have to have? It's like, this is my church. This is my vision. This is what I want to do. And woe to anyone who stands in my way. Now, we might not hear that verbally, put that bluntly, but the actions may certainly dictate otherwise. But I think it's coming back to why, why is a pastor part of the church? He's not there to serve him. He or she is not there to serve themselves. It's taking Jesus as the good shepherd and saying, no, you're supposed to lay yourself down for the sake of the flock, not put the flock out in front of the freight train and say, well, you know, they shouldn't have been playing on the tracks even though I was pushing them. (laughs) I guess God will hold them accountable. Uh, But it seems like that's happened sometimes. We blame the congregation. We blame our boards for not being in line with us when, and we make it all about ourselves saying, look at, I'm just walking the narrow road because God said, you know, there would be, you know, you want to be persecuted. Well, look, my church is persecuting me and we make ourselves out to be the martyr. And that's easily, easily discerned by motive, easily discerned of saying, what's, what is, is your motive here? Well, what if both sides have a good motive, but they're hearing something different. I mean, it's, if it's not a matter of life and death or an emergency, yeah. isn't there a space still for the Holy Spirit to say, okay, we have a difference of opinion, but can we set aside a certain amount of time and what does Scripture say to do? Yeah. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. And which, Fast. Yeah, which is another thing we don't like pray. to talk about. Um, the spiritual disciplines, right? And let's say, let's let's give it a time. And see if we can all get on the same page. Uh, to me, when I've seen that example, it's been a beautiful thing mm-hmm. because it, it's humbling for one party or the other. 
it's very humbling to say, wow, I guess I wasn't hearing from the Lord because now I I see more clearly now. And so I still think that is a wonderful learning opportunity yeah, it's very when human. it's done spiritually, when it's handled according to scripture. Yeah, it's it's a very human moment, but but I hear we're not I hear pastors have human moments. Right, but I've heard pastors and boards say just what you said. Well, you elected us to be your leaders, to be yeah. your representatives. So that means I never have a voice as a congregant. You know, or, I I don't buy that. Yeah, you're not um, allowed to make a mistake because I'm somehow insulated from um, temptation and from sin. Yeah, that again, I, I think it's easily discernible just through the litmus test that our Bible says. Paul gives us that. By tasting the fruit in our lives, you can make sure that it's held account. But it's also important. It's also very important that in Matthew chapter 7, when we read only the first part, you know, you know, sure. judge not lest you be judged, but mm-hmm. it's making sure that you're going to hold that yourself up to the same standard. And when you can have uh, faithful witnesses hold themselves up and say, we're concerned about X issue here. Um, and we're going to hold ourselves to the same standard, but can we do that collectively? And then at the worst thing, I guess that's the worst thing. If the worst thing is you take more time to fast and pray, is that ever going to be a bad thing? Like, well, obviously that's not, what I've always wondered. Yeah, if you're not obviously talking about life and death, like that's obviously a little bit different, but we believe God grants the grace in those moments for us to be able to you know, faithfully execute his plan, assuming your motive is pure. Uh, but for those who isn't pure, the, the, the fruit's not going to be there, especially in those very grave moments. It's going to be very apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the maybe non, you know, non-Hollywood-esque type of uh, moments, uh, the more arbitrary ones, um, taking more time. Like, well, what, what are we in a rush for? I, that's, that's another thing is that we're, if we all believe we've been given this time here as a product of grace, why are we trying to rush it? Because it comes back to our schedule, our time. Don't you know I have to leave on vacation here and this decision has to be made because I don't want to be bothered while I'm on vacation? You see how it unravels into all about me. It has nothing to do with God. And I think that's finally the other the other thing too is I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for this is when people make any sort of statement um, or you hear people talk, if there is a conflict, how much language is I, first personal pronouns, and also how much is it going to be God? And it can easily, easily spill into um, their motive of, you know, I want this, I want this, this is what has to be done, this is how I feel. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Or the accusatory, you, 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 you. you. That's a good point too, yeah. Um, Is where is God in all of this? Or maybe they will share their personal, but end it with saying, but but all that aside, I would just need to pray for God's will here. And I will say this because it, what you're saying here, and I'll, I'll speak sensitively on it, is that your example here hits home really hard right now. And I will say that time uh, has revealed, uh, mo- not motive, but time has revealed fruit or lack thereof. And when we can get out of our own way, settle down for a second, uh, as you always taught me of in those moments, in your anger, do not sin, where a lot of times I hurt you growing up because Michael Cravel just had to get his way. I had to make the final point. I had to do this, and at what cost? And that's a that's a question I've had to ask myself. I can be right. You know, that pastor can be right, maybe right, but at what cost are you going to be right about something? For those right fighters out there like you and I, 
there's a point where we can hey, lose. I'm a former yeah. right fighter. <laughs> we can lose the person or the people in our conquest to conquer whatever we think we is. And I think coming back full circle is that comes back to a wound. That comes back to, or I to have the, to be believed. Or to the original sin. sin yeah. yeah. It, it has to, if you, you're not trusting me, that's going to hurt me to the core because that means you're not believing me. And it takes it personally. And I, I think, yeah. I, I think a lot of this comes back to, um, the natural affinity for humans to think that they are so important. Mm-hmm. And like, doesn't God know how great of a deal he but got? That, but that's filling a need that we have because our yeah. number one fear is rejection. Mm-hmm. So yeah. our, our number one need then would be acceptance. approval, acceptance in order to feel loved. And so what will a person do then? Yeah. To, they to will get that, do everything, everything they can to jump through that hoop or do whatever, or be whatever. And then they lose everything about what the, they were made to do by God and gifted in their passions. And, you know, like, why are you here? Well, if it's about jumping through hoops to gain acceptance and approval because you fear rejection. Yeah. And what is the one thing you've taught me and what I've also go, gone on to learn in my short life here is that when people have that, they will do anything in their power to keep it. They mm-hmm. will try to protect that status or that trust and they will unfortunately, uh, seemingly um, demonstrate their ability to trample on anyone uh, and to hurt anything and, and anyone in their path in order to keep that status. And that's, you know, that, that's almost another conversation. In, in oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And, um, and so I, I just want to, I want to say for, for those out there who well, listen to this. This is, this is, by the way, my m- mom and I can go on for hours. This, this is, is a typical th- this conversation. This is a typical conversation that, you, that you've played witness to. With an outline this yeah. time, though, yeah. the only difference. Just a little bit of outline. I just want to say before I go. Yeah. yeah. That if there's any discerners out there who could relate to what I'm saying, um, maybe we get a hold of Michael and we can form a support group mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can support one another. Because, you know, we're in some really interesting times. And we need discernment and wisdom um, and and our prophets more than we've ever needed them before. And what I see, I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and a bunch of people who are just dynamic in their faith. And we just need to keep supporting one another and, and using all of our gifts and talents because I don't claim to know everything. I do not. Um, but I I have a good sense that, you know, this this God of ours is gonna I think it was our 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 other pastor that had said that I would rather God work through me than have to work around me. Yeah. That takes a lot of humility. It does. And you do have to check yourself every day that stinking thinking, you know, who is at the center? Is it me? Is this all about me? Because that's that's what's going on in our culture right now. We are become now the subject and not God. You know, that that American gospel documentary that that we watched was amazing and it really highlighted that well that, you know, you become the subject. And that led me into researching grace and mercy, which that's another whole whole another topic, topic and what yeah. scripture says about those and how it's being twisted. All these little twists that Satan makes of Scripture, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. A little twist changes the whole meaning. Changing two and four in a in a Scripture passage changes the entire meaning of the of what the Scriptures and God's trying to say to us. So um, let's get together, discerners. Um, or reach out to Michael. 
Another book that I'm reading currently too is um, The Gospel in Every Book of the Old Testament. Excellent book. I, I bought it for my son for his birthday. Yes, you did. Um, Joseph Farah, I believe, mm-hmm. is the author. And um, boy, I would have loved to be able to give that book to my Latin teacher when mm-hmm. he talks about how you see the gospel in Genesis. And, you know, I've come to believe that this assault on the Old Testament, but specifically Genesis in the Old Testament and Revelation in the New Testament, the devil hates those two books. So discounts them all the time twists it, has people talking about end times now like never before, and let's just dismiss Genesis as a fantasy made-up story because Genesis exposes his schemes, his devices. And what does Revelation talk about? His demise. Mm -hmm. Of course he'd want us blind to those things, but there is this movement in the church today, oh, we don't need to talk about the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? Jesus quoted the yeah. Old Testament, and almost every time he talked. Yeah, why are we, why did he do that? Why? Mm-hmm. If it's so irrelevant. So I just love this book because it, it just talks about the gospel. But when Jesus refers to so many characters in the Old Testament and quotes so much of the prophets and David and, and the Mosaic law, how, how can you not know the Old Testament? If you don't know the Old Testament, then the New Testament just is not as rich. It's the complete Bible for a reason. Right. And I would say adding to to that reading material for, for those who are hunting around saying, hey, where, where are these passages that Michael and, and Julie have been talking about tonight? I'd encourage you to, to read Hebrews, um, establishing the, the royalty of Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 through 13, talking about setting up for the spiritual gifts and then what the greatest of the spiritual gifts are, meaning love there, which you may hear a lot at weddings. Uh, I'd encourage you, as obviously, all of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels plus the Gospel of John. And then I, I on repeat, uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I'd read them every day. Yeah. Um, those are the, some of the biggest books that will add insight into uh, this conversation. Um, so thank you guys um, for, for taking the time to... Uh, to listen to what my mom and I have to talk about all the time. If you find this exhausting, I don't blame you in a way, you, but that's why it's a podcast. You can stop and do this at intervals. But thank you uh, for making it uh, to the end uh, here. And thank you, Mom, for, for taking time out of your precious day to, to join me here. I'm honored. Yes, right. I'm honored. That's a happy belated Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, and happy Mother's Day to you, Mama. I love you. Thanks for the flowers. <laughs> You're welcome. And thanks again to my mom and uh, her time. What a great opportunity to interview one of the highest and most respected people in my life. I love her to death. Uh, thank you uh, for tuning into uh, this wonderful episode again. Uh, again, there's, there's going to be so many great other guests coming up here in the next coming weeks, uh, much to your request. Uh, and so maybe a returning guest, just to give you a, a brief preview. But continue to connect with us on your favorite podcasting platform, including our YouTube channel. Thank you for the reviews, the feedback, and constructive criticism. And as we, as a church, head towards Pentecost, look for some more Holy Spirit-oriented short messages between now and then. Thank you, everyone, and may God bless you, and may God keep you.